Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things, and when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work, and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. A little bit ago, I wrote a surprisingly popular article on Medium that focused on what I named the unorthodox creative. The article itself was called The Elephant in the Room, Photography is Dead, Long Live the Creative. And in it, I make the case that the future, also known as the right now of creatives and business, is not limited to a single lane. In fact, it's when people mash up several potent creativity skills that you discover massively disproportionate success. Well, Aaron Anastasi, my guest today, is an example of this in spades. This guy is so stinking impressive. Aaron is a singer, actor, online entrepreneur, and author. His new book, The Voice of Your Dreams, is off the charts fantastic, but that's just his latest hit. As a Southern California native, Aaron graduated with a master's degree from Princeton where he studied philosophy and psychology. His superior singing method course grosses seven figures annually. With nearly 10 million views and over 100,000 subscribers, Aaron has easily the number one singing life lesson channel on YouTube. He's also a prominent life coach for clients and industry-leading roles ranging from film directors to marine biologists to TEDx speakers. Finally, Aaron also is a past Go speaker. That's the conference that we host here each January in Southern California. In fact, you should come next time. Regardless, my hope is that by the time we're done on this particular episode, you'll not only have tremendous insight on turning up the volume of your own hidden talents, but catch a fresh vision for how you can reboot that journey right now. Unless I'm being chased by a bear in this moment, that fear is not an actual present reality. It's just contemplating the what-ifs and what might happen in the future. So if I can get clear around that and get into action, that fear usually dissipates. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Aaron Anastasi, welcome to Converge. Thank you, Dane. Let me just say it's an honor to be on your podcast. I have a deep respect for you and for the work that you do and, and all that you've meant in my life up until this point. So thank you. Well, give me time. No, it's just up until this point. From now on, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I could really mess things up. From, from here on out, it's all down. No, what you've done is amazing. <laughs> Dude, I, I am so grateful to be your friend too. And we have been friends for a bit now and have a lot of common friends and I'm so excited to celebrate a bunch of stuff going on uh, in your world, not the least of which is your book that uh, is just about to come out. And we'll say more about that in just a second. But before all that, what I love about you, or one of the things I love about our friendship is how it all began. Um, I knew your brother for a lot of years, but um, that's not actually how I met you. I met you because I have this quiet, um, closeted uh, d desire slash fantasy to be a singer someday. And, <laughs> yeah. and in my uh, shadow-filled room behind a dimly blue-lit screen, I wasn't <laughs> looking for anything inappropriate except for how to sing one night and uh, thought I would, you know, had that mystique vision in my head of how I was going to surprise my wife and just belt a tune at some kind of opportune moment and uh, oh, her be wowed away. And I think I've seen just too many bad movies, but um, <laughs> I, so I stumbled across this guy named uh, Aaron Anastasi, 
and I'm learning about the superior singing method. And it turns out I wasn't the first guy to find your site. Something like, what, 10 million people have downloaded your superior singing method program? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's done really well. Our our YouTube page has 10 million views, and and we've got we've got you know hundreds of thousands of people have been a part of Spear Singing Method and the YouTube page and that whole thing. So, uh, which is amazing, and I still can't believe it's true. Even saying those numbers feel weird to me. Mm-hmm. Well, it's and having you know gotten the course and gone through it a little bit, and and actually it's amazing. I I won't test it on this call, but I actually <laughs> I actually I think I've gone from complete tone deaf to a sense of like, I actually think I can hear like actual results, things shifting. That's and, quite a big <laughs> shift. It is. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on on this piece, but it just, it speaks to this kind of really eclectic background that you have. I mean, this is just one channel of your life is this, this superior singing method. Yeah, You've built that in a very kind of passive way where you have generated a significant amount of revenue and not just revenue once, but revenue in an ongoing way. You also are an actor, done a ton of stuff uh, in the Hollywood scene. Talk a little bit about your journey from growing up in a, one of the coolest Italian families on the planet to, uh, <laughs> uh, to, to get to the point where you, are creating this kind of the 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 singing thing that's ultimately leading to this new book, The Voice of Your Dreams. Because I want to hear kind of the journey. Because and by the way, as a side note, the reason I'm interested in that journey, uh, even just a brief take on it, is there's so many folks at home who are listening who are they feel like they have an eclectic background, and because it's so varied, they feel disqualified. Like they feel like they they weren't the protege in one niche specialized area. So that, like kind of what's the point? Or they feel so interested in so many different things they are curious if they could ever find a path that could generate enough traction to pay the bills in a serious way. And, and you clearly have yeah. done that. So talk a little bit about your journey of bumping in different directions and then ultimately landing as an author in this new new chapter of your life. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I grew up, I actually grew up in a poor family. I mean, I grew up in Huntington Beach, which isn't a poor area, but we lived proverbially across the tracks. I, most of my life, I actually had a pretty poverty scarce kind of mindset. The, and the idea of ever making more than like living paycheck to paycheck didn't even dawn on me until until I was in college that this could be could be a possibility. And so, yeah, a lot of my background took me. I lived in South America for about a year, and I I went to school. I went to uh, my undergrad. I I excelled in my undergrad, and I didn't in like college. But I I did so crappy in high school that I just it was a really odd for me. So. My teachers encouraged me to to apply to Princeton, so I actually did go to go to Princeton and do a master's degree there. And it was it was kind of that journey of unfolding of oh wow, I I think I I've learned some things along the way, and I've I've got some talents, I've got some gifts. I wonder if I can I wonder what this means and what I can kind of turn this into. And I did try a bunch of different things. I did music for a long time. I toured and traveled and did that whole thing and had a ton of failures in that. I would say I put out seven records. Um, but never, nothing really ever, ever took, nothing really came much of that. And it wasn't until I kind of shifted my focus from, hey, I want to be famous to I want to serve, powerfully serve other people and help them reach their dreams, that success kind of found me. Uh, as long as I was looking for success, it was running from me. But when I just decided to try and serve other people and help them reach their dreams, it's like it found me and it was uh, like through the back door almost. It's not uncommon when I hear these kinds of uh, stories, especially from pretty remarkable success stories. And at the same time, it can land, I think, for for folks at home. Like, yeah, that sounds almost 
just too good to be true. Like, mm. uh, or, or if they're stuck in this kind of perspective of, look, I just need to feed the, feed my kids. I just need to put a roof over my head. They're in a yeah. real scarce kind of perspective. The idea that anything good would find them <laughs> can, can, <laughs> can feel like, well, I'd have to win the lottery to make that happen. But I've heard this enough times from super success stories. And in many ways, I've experienced some of this stuff as well, but it feels odd. It's like this release yeah. to have it chase you rather than you chase it. Have you ever been on the other side of that where you, it felt like, I guess you're alluding to it a second ago, but like, how did you make the the transition from you chasing the dream and the dream chasing you? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a good question. I, I, I got a coach, first of all, um, uh, several years ago when I, when I moved to LA, I got a coach, I got like a transformational, like life coach, executive coach, you know, or, um, you know, whatever success coach and a huge part of the change for me was the shift in mindset, in my way of being. And I know it sounds like, oh, not to you, but could some listeners be like, oh, that sounds weird and this is getting new agey or something. But to me, it was it was such a radical shift when I started questioning the thoughts and the the beliefs that I had. Like, uh, for example, my book is it's called The Voice of Your Dreams and the, the subtitle is Turn Down the Voices of Limitation and Turn Up the Volume of Success. It's all kind of a play on the on the music thing. But, but that's really what was the biggest shift for me is I had I had so many of these conversations in my head, these voices in my head, and not like schizophrenia, although my family is riddled with schizophrenia, but not not that kind of voices. But you know, the voices that just say, you don't have what it takes, you're not enough, you'll you'll never have sustained success. Like those kind of repeating tapes in my head are what kept me from succeeding for a really long time. And I I it's not that I didn't have any success, but once I kind of tapped into those voices, got clear about what those voices were and then examined and interrogated those voices and to find out if they're really true and began and kind of redesigning my thoughts and beliefs, my GPS system, so to speak, that's a big part of what really shifted for me is how I viewed myself and how I viewed the world around me, not realizing I was believing all these negative thoughts and these limiting voices in my head that were becoming my automatic responses, my automatic behaviors that I didn't realize were running me. That that shift, and by the way, this language is not unfamiliar for the folks that I'm Okay, talking great. to you all the time. Great. And and by the way, the, the move to get the outside perspective on the front end, I get that kind of input. Sometimes it's really most of the work. It's, it, it seems to me as is folks that you have outside observers who are a little bit more neutral and can mm. see how folks are maybe stuck. And yeah. like the idea of shifting the our way of doing, uh, that's pretty easy to point out, right? Like, just tell me what to go do and I'll do something new. But what you're describing is really shifting how I'm looking at myself and how I'm holding myself, who I am, and have that inform what I'm going to go do. And I think all that stuff makes a ton of sense. And in your case, not only did you make that leap and jump, but you've done it on multiple occasions. So like, mm. I know you've had a lot of success in Hollywood. I know you've had a lot of success, uh, even the whole Princeton bit, like that's that's an amazing uh, leap and experience that you had. You also, uh, everything you've done with Superior Singing Method and this new project of like, hey, I'm just going to go write a book. <laughs> um, that's, uh, and, and you know, full disclosure, you and I had a chance to work a little bit together through the process of you getting yeah. this book out. But I, I got to say, like watching you walk this out, it's been amazing it felt mm. like like watching from the outside in it looked like this herculean effort and you would methodically say like yeah in 90 days i'm going to do x y and z and x y and z were such massive tasks <laughs> it struck me as if i looked at the task they seemed overwhelming but when i looked at the way you were relating with it all of a sudden the tasks seemed to get smaller 
Mm. And I'm wondering if you talk a little bit of this dynamic of when you have these kind of big audacious dreams of things you want to go accomplish, there really are concrete actions that have to come out of that way of being. And in your case, when I watch you tackle these things, it seems like you do that in a way where, again, they shrink. I'm wondering, if, number one, is that your experience where the tasks get smaller, the, the, the kind of the more you get clear on what you're up for? And number two, if I'm wrong on that metaphor, correct me, but number two, as you get into the work and the work is hard, how do you overcome the stuckness or the obstacles along the way? Yeah, re- really good questions. And th- and that's what... Um that's so fresh in my mind from this book and and i mean really every everything i everything i do okay so for me it starts with you know the radical examination of my thoughts you know of like you know what kept me from writing a book for 10 years was you can't write a book you don't have enough to say so like looking at those and saying okay what what could i be committed to rather than what my automatic responses are or what these voices are saying okay well i could be committed to that i love that you say this small task because to me that fear <laughs> sorry I'm, there, there's so many things rushing through my mind right now because i'm so passionate about this particular thing yeah. is that is that the fear usually is just projecting into the future it's contemplating what's going to happen in the future so when i'm stuck with fear i understand that unless i'm being chased by a bear in this moment that fear is not an actual present reality it's just contemplating what the what ifs and what might happen in the future so that's one thing that if i can get clear around that and just get into action that fear usually dissipates by quite a bit so and one thing i say to my clients is um, the inspiration you're waiting for in order to start is on the other side of starting. So once you actually just start, just take the, whatever the task is, just take the smallest little step that you can, that you can possibly take three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, just commit to the smallest amount of time. If you can get yourself into action, then you, we start getting this momentum and this momentum really carries us forward. You know, like when I would start writing, I would just commit to, I would allow success to be 20 minutes of writing. And so, but once I got through that 20 minutes, I would get to two hours and three hours because I remembered how much I love writing and how invigorating it was to do so. But I had to trick my mind into taking it from this big, giant, scary thing to just being this one task that I'm committed to. I'm just committed to 20 minutes. Sometimes I'd just say, I'm just going to do five or 10 minutes today. And that little, just biting off a little tiny bit, if I just bit off a little tiny bit every day, which is what I ended up doing, I said, I'm going to write two pages a day, five days a week. And I did the math on that and I will have written a book in five months. And, you know, that I didn't always get my two pages. So I kind of recalibrated and said, okay, if I don't get my two pages today, I'm getting no matter what, I'm committed. My goal is two pages a day, but I'm committed to 10 pages a week, no matter what. So if I don't have 10 pages at the end of the day on Friday, I'm going to work on the weekend to get my 10 pages. So it was just like this, these little bits. And then all of a sudden, I just, wrote a tiny bit a day, like a, a blog post or two worth a day, five days a week, you know, mostly didn't work on weekends. And then I turned around and I had a manuscript. Wow. So in that effort to walk that out, it just seems like you had a steady kind of, like, as I'm listening to it, it just strikes me as this like commitment to process that didn't get overwhelmed by the entire journey, but just stayed in tune and present with the present tasks at hand. Yeah. Is, is that fair? It's fair, and I'm glad you said that to the, to the process too, because I'm such like I'm such a systems guy. To me, it's like uh, what I used to get caught up in, and what I find that a lot of my clients, because I I do coach as well. You know, I, I am a I am a life coach or success coach, and what a lot of my clients get caught up in, I find, is this idea of like if they can't 
do something, then they're broken or they weren't taught right or it's not part of their DNA or it's not their personality. And I, I don't believe any of that. I, I think that we have the ability to create systems and processes, no matter where we come from, that can override and trump any so-called personality type. So for me, it's if, if it's not working, if I'm or I, not even that, if I'm not getting the result that I want, it's not that I'm bad, that I'm broken, that I'm wrong or I'm dumb or any of those type of limiting voices. It's the, the system is getting the perfect result. It, like every system has a perfect result. So if I don't like the result that I'm getting, I change the system. I don't try to, you know, go to counseling for five years to figure out what's wrong with me. You know, there's, there's healing in, in counseling and I'm not saying anything against that, but it's a matter of choosing a different system, a different process. Hmm. Yeah, if you mentioned coaching a few times. And obviously I do a lot of consulting and coaching. So do yeah. you. And yeah. there's, a, I think it's probably helpful when people think about the opportunity to to get into the voice of your dreams, to just check it out for themselves, especially if they're yeah. hungry for something new, and maybe they can't afford a coach in their life at this moment, or they think they can't. Like that's right. the story they're telling themselves right now, which is fine. Would your book be a vehicle to kind of get into the conversation and get your head around that process? Oh, 100%. I mean, I... I, at one point, and and Dane, you you know this because we had talked about you know we talked you you helped coach me a lot through this process. You're a brilliant writer and author, and and and, and I and I really respect you. And and I remember that um, one of our conversations we uh, we had talked about calling the book the Pocket Coach because it's really kind of like a whatever twelve dollars or whatever it ends up being. It's a twelve dollar version of of my coaching in a book, and it's got. I mean, mo- most of my journey of how I was able to make Superior Singing Method a success and, and, and the successes that I have. And it, it actually talks more about my failures than my successes because I've had so many gargantuan failures in my life over and over and over and over again that um, it kind of chronicles that. And, I, and I'm of the belief that failure isn't a problem that we face. It's actually the pathway to success. So if we're slowing down the, the rate of failure in our life, then we're slowing down the rate of success. So anyway, a little tangent there. But, uh, but yes, I, my, my book is a great way to begin the idea of what is it like to be coached? And it's kind of like being coached in a book, but it's also a lot of stories and a lot of ways of just examining your own limiting voices and and seeing seeing what might what might be keeping you stuck that you don't actually realize because that's the insidious part of these limiting voices is that most of the time we don't even realize that they're happening we can't if we think about it we can articulate oh yeah i think it's saying that i i don't have what it takes or i'm not this i'm not enough this or that but we don't usually think about it so we're acting out what we think is reality but it's just the reality that we've created in our heads it's what it's believing believing our thoughts about how we've interpreted interpreted a circumstance. Can you walk us through a little bit of uh, like your table of contents, the flow that people could anticipate in the book? Uh, and and the reason I suggest that is I think you're you're dead on like this notion that people are stuck in limiting conversations. Even as I'm speaking, they're like, yeah, I get this in principle. Like, okay, so if I had a better process and I related with myself better and I had a better mm-hmm. attitude, all that might make sense. But I also need to go through a process myself to even get in that place. Yeah, talk a little bit about the journey you take people through with the book. As I was writing it, I I had written a bunch of different. Cha- I wrote just it's like forty seven chapters because they're they're short shorter chapters and 
I, I just wrote a bunch of ideas and I kind of had a, a certain flow. But then once I started having my beta readers read it, they're like, this doesn't have like a cohesive flow. And so I spent a lot of time just, you know, all the chapters, I laid them all out on my, on my bedroom floor and had a buddy help me and rearranged all the chapters and got a flow to do exactly what you're saying, to actually take people on a journey similar to the journey that I took. That was a radical shift for me. I mean, I, I hesitate to say this sometimes, but within a year of being coached myself, Myself, I quadrupled my income and I went from a stagnant dating relationship to like a, a really fun and exciting marriage and actually started pursuing a dream that I hadn't been pursuing, you know, of acting. And so it was a radical, radical shift for me. And it wasn't without its failure and without its pain, but it was it was pretty radical. So part of the journey is what I did for the book. So what I did for the book, I broke it into five sections. Uh, the first one is getting started. And this is this is a lot of the stuff that I was saying. It's like it's the idea of the inspiration you're waiting for in order to start is on the other side of starting. So I, it's really um, about getting getting people into action and talking a lot about failure. And because and, I think the biggest thing that keeps us out of action is our fear of failure. Is this thing going to be successful? Am I going to look stupid? Is this worth my time? A, a lot of that kind of stuff. So a lot of the chapters are actually limiting voices that I had. Uh, one is like, I don't have what it takes. Another is, I just don't know how. Uh, I need more information first. Can I be a great, like these are actual titles of my own limiting voices and, and what the truth behind those kinds of things were. Uh, the second chapter is the being versus doing, and that's a lot of what you and I are talking about, that um, the way we approach an action, like how our being shows up, it radically changes the quality of the action and the results we get. That's what was the biggest thing for me for coaching is that I just thought I had to do something different. Like you were saying, oh, if I do something different, but no matter what I did different, I was it was like I was it was Groundhog Day. I was just getting the same <laughs> results over and over, no matter what it was that I was pursuing. So there was a shift of being that needed to happen, what my thoughts and my beliefs. But once I began to shift that, it's like a whole new world opened up for me. And it wasn't just in one area. It permeated every single area of my life, which was which why it was such a radical kind of quantum transformation for me. Mm. Anyway, um, I, I can keep going with these chapters. So that's, that's that. And then uh, racketeering is actually part three. And that talks about kind of the rackets that we run on ourselves. And this, this part is important to me because this is, and I put it later on, because this is the part where we have a certain contribution to the stuck places that we create for ourselves in, in life. And what I mean by that is every complaint that I have, that my clients have, when I can lock into what my contribution is to that so-called problem, it really helps me and frees me. The more I can own my own problems, the more I can own a situation and get back into the driver's seat, the more power I have to create something different. So I know, I know the problem here is that when we take responsibility for something, we want to jump into shame beat ourselves up, oh, I'm such a piece of crap, or that kind of thing. But I, I like to re-look at that, look at that in a, in a different way. If I could see owning my own stuff and taking responsibility for the things that go wrong in my life, it actually gives me power to say, okay, if I own that, if I somehow created this circumstance that I say I don't want, then that means I could create something different. And then I can forgive myself for whatever, and then I can just move on and get a new vision and create something something new. So that's the, the racketeering part is kind of own our own stuff. 
part four is increased productivity. So I talk a lot about commitment, about being all in. And that that's one thing like you were talking about. So what is it when people find out that it is hard? I never answered that question. When people get into a task and find out it's it's really hard, like what to do then? I find for me that when I clear out all the garbage in my life, all the good, for me, it's like, if it's not like a hell yeah, I'm going to do that thing, then it's a no. If it's just like, a oh yeah, that would be great. That's a no. So for me, when to, to actually have something, bring something great to fruition, it's like all in for that and clearing out all that, all that, you know, the idea of good being the enemy of the great, anything that's good, I don't do. If it's great, that's what I'm going for. The idea of being all in, am I 100% in? for this or not and if i'm not let's just not do it right now and if i am that's when i really start seeing fruit well let, let's pause there for a second because sure. and part of it is i want to pause so folks can have a chance to get the book themselves because this is just the beginning of the dialogue mm-hmm. but this yeah. last question in particular i think is probably one of the most profound at least in my own life and as i read the manuscript it, it struck me as really really critical uh and i know like others like derek sivers and others have talked about this hell yeah mm-hmm. hell no thing but what I'm struck by in it is how often, especially in my coaching practice, when I'm working with really talented folks, how because they're talented and they can do so much, and I know this is speaking to people <laughs> in their earbuds yeah. as I say this, uh, yeah. they just know that they just don't want to let go of these things that they can do that are just, yep. they're, they're motivated, they're fun, they have a fear of missing out. There could be so many different pieces to it, but they feel as though they're giving something up, which they are. But really what they're doing is they're creating space to get to that level of excellence that they're craving so badly to be at. Yeah. And that that kind of epiphany of just release and and taking action around that. When you've seen that happen, the mo- like, can you give us one example of someone that you've coached or in your own life or just you, in your research, someone you came across who did that? And when they released it, there was something concrete that opened. And it could be just your own story, because I think that was that's just kind of the forex on your on your income. But it seems like that is such a transformational, pivotal moment. It's almost like a rite of passage. Like if people can't get to that moment where they release good to get to great, they're really in trouble. At least if they really want to be excellent. But can you think of an example that you could talk us through that that narrative, that story? I I was coaching this this one guy. Let's let's just call him John to protect the innocent. But he <laughs> uh, he is a director. He's a he's a film director, and he's he's been a very very successful music video and uh, music video and commercial director. But he wanted to move into into film directing. Like he, he loved drama and wanted to move into feature film directing. And he'd written this short film and this guy like like you're saying massively talented like this guy's ridiculous like he can do he could do just about anything and he's great at a lot of things he's craftsman like builds tables he's good at music he's good at so many things when we first started coaching he had he had a crowdfunding campaign that had failed. He was trying to raise $60,000 for the short film that he had written. And he was really passionate about this film because it was, it was a film that was going to, you know, help stop sex trafficking. It was, it was a, to raise awareness and also raise money to help stop um, sex trafficking. Uh, So when we started coaching, he had, uh, his campaign had failed. I think he'd raised $14,000 of the 60 that he was trying to raise. And as we began coaching together, a lot of it was just, just carving away the stuff that he was doing in his life. He wanted to do all this stuff. He wanted to do all, this, all these different things in his life. And and my thing for him, it was just simple. And this is for you know for the listeners and for myself. It's not easy, but it is kind of simple. 
choose. You've got to choose. Yeah. So as, after three months of working with him, he not only raised the sixty thousand dollars, but he raised an he raised an additional twenty thousand dollars, so full eighty eighty thousand dollars. And he ended up shooting the film, directing the film, and he he accomplished his goals. But he also kind of reawakened this sense of possibility in his life, which was which was an even bigger deal. Hmm. And you helped me, Dane. I mean, same thing. I, I was in all these acting classes and improv classes while I was trying to write the book. And you gently reminded me that th- this takes a lot of focus to really do well and to do right. And it was, it was through that that I was able to kind of carve, carve everything else out of my life and put 100% focus on this and build a launch team. And there's so many fun things going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to watch because it's so funny, even as you're telling the story of, you know, John in quotations or you in your book, man, can I ever relate? And this is probably the last section I really want to focus on is mm-hmm. this notion that, you know, if you, you get a coach like it's an event, uh, you'll have a great moment and then the coach will be gone and then you're still left with yourself and you'll drift, <laughs> you'll drift or, you know, you get this right for, for a particular project and then the project's complete and then you can drift again. And to, to relate with this notion of kind of letting go, getting focused, getting all in on one particular thing to go from good to great, for me at least, I'm struck by how I wish in my fantasy it would it was like a threshold I got through once and for all. But it doesn't relate like that with me. It feels more like a habit that I have to kind of keep practicing. It's why I keep getting a yeah. coach. It's why people yep. coming back, really talented people keep coming back to me to get coached. And right. talk a little bit about the opportunity to kind of live in the work for life, not just for a moment. Yeah. Your experience has been the same as mine, Dane. I, since I've had, since I had my first coach, I've had, I've had a coach with, you know, in that's been, uh, gosh, four, a little over four years um, since I first got a coach. I've had a coach nonstop without more than maybe a month or two in between at, at any given time. I believe in coaching. I believe in the power of coaching because I can get caught in that drift. It, all, all of us are susceptible to that. In fact, that's one of the reasons I continue to coach is because I, I want to live in this framework and in this mindset. And the more I'm living in it and I'm constantly reading books and all, all in this area of transformation, it helps me to stay in it because I, I don't want to get in that drift. So yeah, I still have my coaches all the time. I'll always have a coach. It's it's not necessary. I, I don't want to say... I don't believe it's like, oh, well, there's something wrong or broken in you. I, I don't believe that at all. I just know that when I have a coach, I go further faster. It's a, it's a one-to-one ratio. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with fitness and with sports and, and everything else. It's, it's, it's a one-to-one ratio. In fact, I've got a, I've got a quote in my book that I'm going to botch because I, I haven't memorized it, but it's uh, Bill Gates saying that same thing. He's like, whether you're a baseball player or a, or a dancer, and then he says, or a bridge player. You, everyone needs a coach. So I, I, I love that even Bill Gates says everyone needs a coach. So last thing I just want to ask the question about, and this happens, I know all the time, someone will hit you up and say, hey, Aaron, let's get out of coffee or let's hang out or you bump into someone socially and, and they're really enrolled, they're intrigued by this idea, but they just need to figure out like like next steps. So let's assume number one, they went out and bought The Voice of Your Dreams at thevoiceofyourdreams.com. They're hooked, they're into this idea. They have a working sense of how these distinctions work and how they want to work them out in their life. What do they do from there? If you're in their shoes and you could go back, given what you know now, and you're at the start of the conversation for your life, what would be kind of a, an easy, I guess, in the negative, a rookie mistake that someone could make to go in one direction? And what would be like, if rookies did this more often, they'd become juniors like in a heartbeat, as opposed, or, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but they'd, get, yeah. they'd, make a, they'd, they'd expedite their process. 
Yeah. Two things come to mind. Like when you talk about the book, I think there are a couple of different ways to read a book. And one is to read the book and then to put it down and say, that was a really good book and then move on with your life. I may be a little more of a slow learner than most people, but I read books at least twice. Um, There's one book uh, and sometimes a lot more. One book I've read 24 times. For me, for content to really transform me, it's I, I read it over and over and over until like the content becomes part of my DNA. I'm a little bit obsessive like that, so that that's part of like the idea of the reading and 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 how how we're transformed by reading. That was a radical concept introduced to me by my one of my professors in college. He's like, I read everything twice, and it, that was mind blowing to me at the time. Like, right what twice like i i, I don't even want to read it once you're but, ra- but, you're a radical <laughs> <laughs> exactly but really dane it just goes back to what you're talking about i i would find a coach i mean that's that's really the next step a- after the book would be a coach or even before that maybe just get really really clear about what it was i want i would write down what are my three primary visions and goals for the next 3 to 6 months of my life and get really 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 clear around what that is cuz the more clear we are the more motivated we are to move toward that thing. But really, you know, a coach is going to help us kind of stay on track and work with our limiting voices and our rackets and uh, help challenge us as well. Aaron, thanks so much. Really a pleasure to have you on, man. Yeah, thank you, Dane. I appreciate you. Again, it's an honor to be on your podcast and just keep killing it because you're doing great work. This was episode five, season two of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Music today provided by Triple Scoop Music, the leading music service for creative professionals. Find the perfect song for your next project at triplescoopmusic.com. Fastermind.co is home base for all things Converge. It's also where you can find exactly what you need to make real change happen. Like ever want to ditch your not-so-smart smartphone addiction? Knock that out this week. No kidding. Find out more at fastermind.co. Until then, I'm Dane Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.